Well, welcome. It's, a, it's an honor to have you with us today. Um, when I was in high school, there was this kid named Mark that, that everybody used to pick on, pick on. And there's a few guys in particular that would pick on him and just try to humiliate him any kind, any kind of way that they could, you know, knocking his books over, tripping him. Uh, I mean, even punching him in the arm when teachers weren't looking. Um, and and they, they would just do whatever they could to humiliate him. And uh, some laughed and some shook their head and, 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 and some were just indifferent. Uh, now me, on the other hand, it, it bothered me because Mark was someone who didn't live far from me and, and I live with a high sense of justice. And I, I remember this time, I was like, I, I wanna do something about this. And, and I saw them one day after school getting ready to put him into, a dump, uh, not a dumpster, but a trash can. And uh, I, I was like, okay, I'm going over there. So I go over there and I, I, I use words. I'm trying to persuade them, but I, I'm starting to mentally prepare like, hey, I may, this, may get, this may get physical. And thankfully they, you know, just by pulling them off and saying, hey guys, why don't you stop this? They did walk away. And as they were walking away, I mean, they were calling me names and uh, making it clear uh, that they were going to uh, get me back for this. But I didn't care because, you know, this is something that, you know, Mark obviously really appreciated for the first time, maybe in a really long time. He was going to go home with a sense of honor and dignity that someone loved him, someone uh, cared about him. And uh, this is a true story, all up until the point that I did something about it. Uh, the truth is, I, as I saw this happen, I didn't really do anything. Um, I'm uh, not, not proud to say that, that actually I, I, I didn't want to, but I laughed. I, I wanted to fit in. I, I was afraid of what other people may think of me if I did something. I was afraid of becoming a target myself. I was kind of new to the school. Um, so I just kind of held back. Fear caused me to hold back. And I learned two very important things that I think are really relevant for us in this season. Number one, our present action is telling a future story. Our present action right now is telling a future story. And, and second thing I learned is that fear will drive you to self-preservation, but love will drive you to self-renunciation for others. Had love overcome my, my fear that day, I would get to tell you the story that I really want to tell you. I really want to tell you that I, I didn't think about myself and I thought about Mark, but that isn't the story I get to tell. Now, here's why this is so relevant. When COVID-19 just becomes a story we tell. Maybe that's a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, whenever. Whenever COVID-19 becomes a story that we just tell, what story will we tell? What, what present action are we engaging in that will allow us to tell the story that we really want to say? Our present action is writing a future story. And at the very beginning of this crisis, um, I came to us and I said, hey, there's this uh, message that I want to give to you from Paul's words to the Corinthians. And he said that, that the thing that must remain, the thing that will remain is faith, hope, and love. And so let's, let's be people of faith, let's be people of hope, and let's be people of love. In fact, Paul says the greatest of these things is love. And so uh, I want to be wise in this season. I want us to make good choices. I want us to be thoughtful and considerate. But more than I want to be wise, I want to be loving. Um, I'm willing to risk doing something unwise 
so that I can love in this season, which is why we're starting a new series today, Loving Like Jesus. If you're new to Christianity, the big idea is that we want to be like Jesus. He's our leader. He's our savior. He's our Lord. We declare by faith that Jesus has the best life that anyone has ever lived. And, and it's a life that we can have, not a life that we earn, but a life that we receive, that God gives to us, but it requires that we trust. It requires that we renounce ourself in order to love like him because the way he loves, the way he lives is counterintuitive. In fact, it's not just counterintuitive, it's counterhuman. I mean, he just turned everything upside down. My, ki- my kingdom is not like the kingdom of the world. To be first is to be last. To be the greatest is to be the least. To win is to lose. To, to die is to live. And in John 13, the, the passage that was read for us, we see this beautiful scene of Jesus with his disciples. And he's beginning to make something very clear to him about why he came and more importantly, what they were to do once he leaves the scene, as he leaves this earth. And this final week, he was teaching him something that he was trying to teach him all along. You see, this life with him began at the Sea of Galilee when he first called them and This journey led them uh, for a three-year journey through all different kinds of towns and it led them through Philippi and Capernaum, through Judea, then ultimately to Jerusalem where we find ourselves. And as they travel over and over, he would remind them of what to expect. And he would say that the son of man must suffer, that I must suffer, that he must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he would be crucified and he would be buried on the third day, would rise again. And this was such a shocker to them. This was very confusing to them because they'd lived in a day and an age where they thought that good things didn't happen to bad people. They thought that good things didn't happen to bad people. And he was the goodest. In fact, he was the goddest person that they have ever met. So over and over again, he reminds them, hey, I'm not that kind of a king and this is not my kind of kingdom. And he emphasized to them over and over and over again, this is what I've come to do. This is what I've come to do. And then he, at one point, he says, you know, if you want to be like me, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. And in the crowd, you could have heard a pin drop because at this point, basically, he was saying, this isn't going to be fun anymore. This isn't going to be a parade anymore. This isn't going to be a festival anymore. This is going to cost you something to live the way that I'm living, to love the way I'm living is going to cost you something. And for us, to pick up your cross is symbolic. For them, it was literal. They, they've seen crucifixion. They've smelled crucifixions. They, they probably knew someone who was crucified. Basically, he's saying from here on out, you're going to have to suffer. It's going to cost you. But in this call to, to deny themselves was disguised an ominous declaration of an extraordinary invitation. And here's what he says next. He says, for whoever wants to save their life, and that would be all of us, all of us want to save our life, but whoever wants to save their life, he says, will lose it. This was kind of a fancy way of saying, hey, everybody dies. <laughs> you, know, you know, no matter how you know, healthy you are, exercise, how much you take care of yourself, no matter how careful you are, everybody is going 
to die. No matter how hard you work to preserve your life, he says, you're going to die. You're going to lose it. Everyone loses their life no matter what. But if in the meantime, if you only live for yourself, you're going to have nothing to significant to show for it. So here's my invitation. Whoever would lose their life for me and my gospel will ultimately save it. And in this moment, he was inviting them to live and to lose their life on purpose. And so suddenly, you know, Peter and all the disciples, they have a decision to make. They could say, okay, we could just kind of leave this now and just kind of fish our lives away, pour ourselves back into our career, pour ourselves back into other things and just die as old and forgotten men. Or do we accept the invitation to love and to live on purpose? And we have this decision to make as well. Will we be consumed with preserving our lives? And that's always a temptation. The temptation for you and I is always to preserve our life. But if we simply preserve our lives in the end, we'll lose it. If we continue to say yes to fear, fear has a, has a, has a well-worn path. It always leads to self-preservation. But if you follow that path long enough, you will neither preserve your life or have anything significant to show for it. So the question that Jesus posed to his first century followers that he extends to us as well is, will we follow him? Will we trust him? Will we go down this path with him in love the way he loves? Our present action in this moment is telling a future story. So Jesus gets to Jerusalem. He gets in the upper room where we find ourselves in John 13. And he not only verbalizes, but he dramatizes why he came. And what we see is we see three main actions in the life of Jesus that I want to talk about over the next few weeks. Uh, And in this atmosphere, you see this atmosphere, the tone of John 13, it's just really poetic and beautiful. I mean, you know, there's a there's a painting about it. It's it's wrong, but there's a painting about it. And um, it's a scene of love and an intimacy and relationship. And he's got them gathered around and there's equality, you know, a common bowl together signal equality. And, you know, it wasn't on Zoom. It was in person and it was something that they needed and we needed. And, and while the overall tone is love and relationship, it's, it's worth noting that it says in our text that the devil was present in the heart of betrayer. The other piece of this atmosphere is danger, risk, vulnerability in the presence of evil. Jesus is dipping his bread with a betrayer and a denier. And sometimes we break away from love. We break away from community out of the fear of risk because we've been hurt. Fear drives us towards self-preservation. Fear drives us away from love. Jesus didn't just have a hunch about Judas. He didn't see, you know, there's something about that guy I just don't trust. I'm not really sure about him. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I should get too close. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. But yet he invites him in this meal, the scene of intimacy and love with him together. And again, in, the, in, this, in this scene, we see three movements, three actions that he dramatizes that would declare his mission on earth, but also would declare our mission if we would make the decision to not be motivated by fear, but be motivated by love and follow him in this adventure. And here are the three movements. Number one, he, he takes off his 
garment. He takes off his outer garment. There's a divesting, there's a letting go in Jesus. He becomes a slave and then he washes feet. So I'm gonna talk just briefly with our time that we have left here on the undressing of Jesus, this, this divesting, this letting go, this emptying. In John 13, four, it says in our text here, it says that Jesus, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. Before, before we get into becoming a slave, before we get into what it means to wash feet, well, you have to understand in your desire to love like Jesus, you have to know that there's something that you need to take off. There's a letting go, there's a divesting. What did it mean for Jesus? Well, we get a bigger, a better picture or in a, a very similar picture, I should say, in Philippians 2, uh, verse 5, where it says this. It's, Paul says to us, he says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Again, the big picture is Jesus is saying, this is what I'm like and this is how I want you to be too. Who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He let go, he took something off. He divested himself. The king of the universe was clothed in glory. He was clothed in light. He was clothed in power, yet he did not come to us in glory and power and light. But he came to us as a baby, a naked, vulnerable baby in a know-nothing town, born in a manger. Born amongst a group, mind you, was, that was an oppressed minority. Isaiah prophesied not of a conquering king, but of a baby. This baby who would stick his hand inside of a snake hole and not be hurt. This, this, this baby who would come as a lamb among wolves. Who would come in vulnerability, not in power and strength. And in the love that Jesus has for us, we see an, an intentional divestment of a few things in particular, of power, of preference, of power and preference. He says that he, he did not hold on to his power, but intentionally let it go to become a human to love, to make himself equal with us, to be born in likeness of men. He let go of his power. He let go of his privilege too. I didn't mention that. There's three things here. He let go of privilege. He never once played the God card in putting himself at the front of the line, but was willing to go to the back of the line, even becoming a slave. And, and even when he had the right as an innocent person to put an end to the bogus trial, he divested himself of his privilege. He didn't call down a, legal, a legion of angels. He had that right. He had that privilege, but he didn't do it. He divested himself. He took something off to love you and to love me. He didn't hold on to his preference. He prayed in the garden, God, I don't want to do this. This is not my preference, but not my will, but your will. And in John 10, this is something that he made very clear that he did it very volunteer voluntarily. He says, no one takes my life from me. I, I do this on my own accord. So in loving people, this isn't something that was taken from some, him. This is something that he did in order to love you and I. This was Jesus's mission, but we need to know that this is our mission as well. In the same um, chapter later on in verse 15, he says, for I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you as I have done to you. And then later on in verse 20, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I, that I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one that sent me. So in other words, he's saying, God has sent me here to love you this way. 
Now I am sending you in a like manner to love other people this way. But check this out. He says, as people receive you, they are receiving me. In other words, you and I have the opportunity to represent him. That the way that people experience the love of Jesus, in fact, this is his plan A. This is the big idea of the church. Is that the way people experience Jesus is through you and I. And we have that opportunity. And that's what we want to do here at Jubilee Church. We want to represent Jesus. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to experience Jesus. And they will experience Jesus through us, through these fragile jars of clay. The treasure that is Christ will be experienced through us. But to love like this, we have to say no to fear. To love like this, we have to let go. We have to divest ourselves of some things. So like Jesus, we have to divest ourselves of power. And there's lots of things we could talk about. I'll mention a few. It's as simple as letting go of your desire to be right. If you've lived long enough, you know that you can either be right or you can have relationship. There becomes a fork in the road at times. You have to let go of physical power. We don't strong arm people. Jesus didn't come in his power and just impose his will. But in loving others, we let go of, of, of any power that we have in order to love them. We let go of economic and financial power. You know, it's interesting when Jesus sent out uh, his disciples, you can read about this in Luke 10, among other places. He says, don't take any money with you, but depend upon the hospitality of strangers. What are you saying? In other words, divest yourself financially in order to love yourselves, restrain yourself out of love. And as Christians, we divest ourselves of financial power in order to love other people. We intentionally lower our lifestyle to love other people. We, we make ourselves financially vulnerable in order to love people. We don't give in to fear. We don't seek to preserve ourselves. That's why we want to press into generosity. And, and I'm just so proud of this, our, our church in this season when there is uncertainty and we don't know, some of us don't know that we have a job or some of us have already loved, lost our job, but it hasn't stopped our generosity. And I just wanna encourage you to keep on in that. That is, it, there, there's something in you that wants to hold on and preserve, but trust me, it's, it's love through you. It's, it's this, the present action of a future story that you will be able to tell that in this moment, that you didn't seek to hold on to your life. You sought to let go of your life. And one of those ways is letting go of financial power. At the macro level, sometimes Christians, we, um, it means that we don't set ourselves up to have power uh, our way culturally. I mean, again, you know, there's, we, we, we are those who are a part of the government. That is that we vote and we have a decision to make. And, and we must have a conviction that if biblical values can be represented in our culture, it's a way of blessing. However, 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 we must be very careful. That doesn't spill over into us having our way. Like we need to get our country back. As if political power adds anything to our ability to be the church, because it doesn't. Because Jesus taught us that the way to love is to let go, not to grab a hold. So it's a divestment of power. It's a divestment of privilege. To love people, that means we have to give up privileges. And we've seen that practically in COVID-19. Love has required that we give up privilege. But in every season, there are privileges to divulge yourself to love other people. You may have the right to speak, but you don't speak because you want to love 
You may have the right to your fair share, but you don't, uh, you don't claim your right to your fair share because you want to love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not insist in getting its own way. Love doesn't insist on its own behalf, but there's a divestment of privilege. There's also a divestment of preferences. There's nothing wrong with having preferences. I like to wake up early. I like to uh, go to bed early. I like strong coffee. I like a schedule, but not overly scheduled. I like meetings to start and end on time. Preferences are fine. Preferences where they go wrong is where they get in the way of me loving other people. Personality in some ways is a part of our divine design, but they're also a preferred way of you and I operating. Extroverts in this season, my hope for you isn't that you're just waiting for this season to be over, lamenting what you're losing. Something has been taken from you. I hope that's not your attitude. I hope that you are seeing this as an opportunity to willingly divest your preference to love other people. If you seek to gain your life, you'll lose it. But you seek, I know, I'm okay. I'm not okay with, I'm okay with not getting my way. I'm okay of not getting what I prefer. Introverts, your season is coming to an end. And you'll have to do the same thing when we, it's, it's so important that we gather in small groups, in larger groups, in any way that we can when it's safe and, and right that we do. It's important to gather. We have to work through, we have to step through our preferences in order to love but all of us to love Jesus the way, to love the way Jesus called us to, to love will require us to lay down what we prefer in every season. This could be something small or it could be something big, like where we live, for example, our schedule, what kind of job we have, what kind of education we pursue. All these things affect the way we love people. Do we hold on to them or do we let it go? And this is so relevant for a witness. My son and I, are currently reading a biography about Hudson Taylor. And he is a hero. Hudson Taylor is a hero among Chinese Christians, but he's also like, man, he's like the premier example of what it means to do evangelism, what it means to be a missionary in the modern era. And one of the reasons why he was so successful is because he completely divested himself of all things English and embraced the life of being Chinese. Even when his work and his life and his possessions were threatened and even taken from him, there were English battleships just off the coast that he had every right to, to call upon that help to come and protect him. He could have done that at any moment, but love required him to divulge himself of that power, that privilege, and that preference. And you and I are gonna be put in the same place Will we choose love or will we choose fear? Will we choose to self-renounce or will we choose self-preservation? Will we have an invested life or will we have a wasted one? To love like Jesus means that we first have to take something off. This scares us to death, but it's the way that we love. We have to be willing to divest yourself. Love is intentionally losing short term to step into a life that is deep, a life that we hope to live. And our present action, our present action right now is telling a future story. And I hope the way that you're living, I hope the way that we could live together is that we would tell a story worth telling. Now, here's what I want us to do. This is 
There's no amount of motivation. There's no amount of human motivation that can get you to live this way. I, it is, it's not within us. It's not within you. But it is, it is within him. And so here's what I want us to do. Before we move on in the service, uh, we're going to take another moment to worship. And we're going to sing the song, Jesus Paid It All. And I want us all to look to him, to look to the one who loved us, who was willing to give up everything for you and I, becoming even a slave, becoming even a slave and obedient to death, even death on a cross.